0: Okay, you guys, I'm going to be honest. I used to loathe wearing bras because they were so uncomfortable and suffocating. They were the first thing that I ditched the moment I got back home. But Skims totally flipped the script for me. As a dedicated fan of Skims undies, I decided to give their bras a shot. And wow, Skims once again knocked it out of the park.
1: And if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend or a significant other, they are also going to like Skims.
0: Even the underwire bras are so cozy that you can literally just rock them all day without even realizing you're wearing a bra.
1: Peyton, Peyton loves skims. She's not lying. She's a supporter.
0: I do. I will purchase skims outside of this stuff, I'm also supposed to be doing ads for. So I purchased my ad stuff and then I'm also like, hey, you know, maybe I should just throw a little t-shirt in here or something. But currently I'm wearing the Fits Everybody push-up bra. I love it. It is so amazing. I also rocked my no-show bra under a dress one night when I went out and it was so cute to just have the mesh detailing poking out. So shop Skims bras at skims.com. They are now available in 62 sizes. 38 oh through 46 about. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $75. And if you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. So after you place your order, will you please just select podcast in the survey and then select our show, Murder With My Husband, in the drop-down menu that follows. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Morland. And
1: I'm Garrett Morland.
0: And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. Well... If you are watching on YouTube, you have already noticed the newest addition to Murder With My Husband, and if you are listening on podcasts, Garrett finally got me a puppy.
1: I did. So, yes, we have a puppy. She is hanging out right here on Peyton's lap, and no, we do not have a name. (laughs)
0: We are working on it. I think we've narrowed it down to two, but we're not going to say anything until we know for sure what her name is.
1: So, she's super cute. That's all I can say.
0: And she's been really good.
1: She has been really good. She
0: sleeps through the night. She.
1: She's had a couple, you know, potty mistakes, but that's probably on us more than anything because we have no idea what we are doing.
0: We are reading a lot, though. We're not being irresponsible. Yes,
1: We're trying our best. She's doing pretty good.
0: But so anyways, Murder With My Husband now finally has a mascot and she is sitting on my lap and she will be named here shortly.
1: Next week, we will for sure have a name for her. Yes. Right now, she is like 3.3 pounds, 3.2 pounds. Yeah. Um, We'll see how big she gets. It's kind of a hit or miss. She could be 7 pounds. She could be 10 pounds. She could be 15 pounds. I'm not sure. I don't think she'll be bigger than than 10 pounds but we don't know she is a micro mini golden doodle um i don't know i wish i had a name for her but we don't other than that she's extremely cute we're super excited there's not three of us it feels kind of weird i don't know it does
0: feel weird it was definitely like a pretty big life change the first couple days it
1: was very last minute
0: yeah just kind of out of the blue well you guys know that we've been wanting one for a long time but this one just kind of came right time right place and it was it's definitely weird because we're just so used to it being us two, but it's starting to feel more normal like we're starting to feel like a little family yeah but other than that Garrett do you have your 10 seconds
1: for my 10 seconds this week hopefully it is not a letdown we are actually doing a redrop of strangey dangy merch
0: this has been the number one most asked restock you guys like ever since we dropped it those who weren't able to get it have just been begging for a redrop of strangey dangy and so we decided that we are going to be doing that today so if you didn't get your strangey dangy or you haven't had any merch yet and you want to go check it out now
1: it's a limited drop we're super excited it'll be live when you're listening to this, so go and check it out. And on that note, let's hop right into it.
0: Very quickly, last week we did drop three more episodes of our new show, Binge. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check it out. Okay, our case sources are Mommy Number 13, Wikipedia, charlieproject.org, KRQE.com, and newspapers.com. Now, anyone who's listening to this, including me, has heard Garrett say before, actually pretty recently, this is the craziest episode I've heard. But today's story may top anything that we've ever covered before. Today's story has UFOs, alien lizard queens, cancer cures, petri dish babies, cannibalism, ninja swords, murder for hire militias, New World Order, you name it. Everything. And of course, there's a murder.
1: Sounds like a video game.
0: It also may not surprise you to learn that with its UFO and alien theme, this story takes place in New Mexico, home of Roswell, the flying saucer capital of the world. And also, I know that they are not called UFOs anymore. They're called UAPs now for Unidentified Aerial Phenomenons. But I grew up with UFO, so I'm going to refer to it as UFO because I feel like everyone refers to it as UFO and I like UFO. So like I said, we're about to land in some pretty wacky terrain with this case, and it all begins at SeaWorld. Now, I know that a lot of us are aware of the moral issues that arise with SeaWorld. I don't need nor really want to go into that, but couldn't continue on without acknowledging that unethical animal parks do exist, and it's important to do your research before supporting such places but our story takes place back in the 90s. And so in everyone's defense, this was far before the general public had knowledge and insight that we do now. And needless to say, SeaWorld in the 90s was the kind of place that was you poppin'. yes, it was popping. And you could take for granted as an adult, you know, there was the whales majesty, the dolphins intelligence, the sea lions personality, and their often adorable interactions with trainers and park visitors. Back then, and even now, if you so wish, you can go to SeaWorld as an adult and find yourself totally blindsided by how enchanted you are. And that's how it was for Girly Chu, the woman at the front of our case, the first time that she visited SeaWorld in 1989. Now, Girlie was visiting the U.S. from Malaysia, where she was from, and she was visiting with her friend Susan O. when they stopped at SeaWorld in San Diego. And they actually had such a good time that they went back again the next year and then the year after that. And in 1992, Gurley's trip to SeaWorld came bundled with a surprise, a chance meeting with a captivating American man who charmed her from the word go. His name was Diazin Hosenkoft, and though he was only in his late 20s, Diazin was as accomplished as he seemed worldly. He was a medical doctor, a geneticist, a thoracic surgeon who had also worked in the past as a scientist for the CIA and for NASA. Wow. He was born in Switzerland to a Japanese mother and German father. And Dyson had a Bachelor of Science degree from Tokyo University, a Master's in Chemistry from Stanford,
1: oh a gosh. Master's
0: in Genetic Engineering from San Francisco University, and he'd gotten his PhD from Cornell. Jeez,
1: this guy's a wizard.
0: Right. He was a man who had written over 40 medical research papers and had a CV that was seven pages long. But not only was Diazin an impressive high achiever, he was also confident, outgoing, funny, and he quickly wooed Girly Chu at SeaWorld that day, told her she was a beautiful, dazzling woman. And when she returned to her native Malaysia, they actually began a pen pal correspondence that quickly ripened into a romance. Girlie and Diazin were not just a vacation fling, and pretty soon. Gurley was planning her next visit to the States, not for SeaWorld, but to see Diazin in person again.
1: Just budding in here real quick. When I was in sixth grade, I had a pen pal from England. Um, we talked for like a couple of years. I don't know. What are the chances he's listening? What's I his name? don't remember his name. <laughs> so it's not going to help very much. Um so he's probably not listening either, <laughs> but I think his name was Ryan. I, gosh, I can't remember. Anyways, I had a pen pal from like sixth to eighth grade and he's from England and he was awesome.
0: I had a pen pal in fourth grade. Okay. It was my cousin. She lived in Tennessee. <laughs>
1: Don't try to one up me. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. So, Gurley is going to go back to America, and much to the disapproval of her parents, Gurley moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, in December of 1992. This is after Dyson bought her a $7,000 engagement ring. And on January 8th, 1993, the two were married. They were moving into a house together in Albuquerque, so it's safe to say that this was a courtship that moved very fast. And Gurley Chu, who was now Gurley Chu Hausenkopf, the wife of an esteemed young doctor, had hardly spent any time at all with Dr. Diazin before making this move. He even sent a letter apologizing to her furious parents for not requesting their daughter's hand in marriage. By the way, if you're wondering right now about the name Diazin, you're not alone. Girly Chu, and honestly I, was wondering about the name as well. So apparently Diazin is a name that's so unique we could find no other documented individual who's ever had this name. Wow. And interestingly, Diazin's last name was like that too, Hausenkopf. Seems like there was only one person in human history who ever had this last name, and that was Diazin Hausenkopf, Gurley's new husband.
1: But his parents didn't?
0: No, Okay. So, so Dyson explained to Gurley that his name was actually equal parts German and Japanese, which he added were the two master races, in his opinion. He explained the name came from representation from both of his parents, so they combined their name and gave him the last name, and Gurley Chu accepted this explanation. That's why he's the only one. Um, and she accepted this kind of like she accepted everything he told her. For example, his story about his first wife that she had been, you know, he told Girlie gravely injured in a car accident that took the lives of his two young children. And then he had another revelation for Girlie: He was dying. He was dying of leukemia. Oh my gosh, okay. And that's why he was devoting his career to curing cancer. In fact, he claimed, Girlie, I've already found a cure, a cure for cancer and he was his own test subject and it's what had been keeping him alive. Oh
1: my gosh.
0: But this cure for cancer was also one of the things that kept him afloat financially. This is why he had so much money. Over the years, Diazin attracted hundreds of thousands of dollars from investors to fund his miracle cure for cancer and his various research projects. He claimed to have patented a machine that was able to map out the entire human genome and he had split the machine into to five parts and he was keeping each at different universities scattered across the united states to protect it so basically he's iron man it's kind of what i'm feeling
1: i'm just you know when it's too good to be true it's too good to be true
0: He claimed that he was working on a way to create human beings in a laboratory, in test tubes and petri dishes. He would tell his investors that his groundbreaking work would generate billions of dollars in revenue for himself and them, and he always found people willing to invest. People like his 70-something-year-old neighbor, Pedro, much of whose savings were absorbed by investing in Diazin's work. And if someone to whom Dyson pitched appeared skeptical at all, like if he tried to pitch this and they weren't having it, Dyson had a way of picking up on that and understanding his limits, basically just walking away from the interaction without so much as a word. He's like, okay, they're not interested. I'm leaving. He always seemed to have money. And Gurley herself, after moving to America, had a full-time job working as a teller at the Bank of New Mexico, where she was a model employee and highly valued by her coworkers and supervisors. And for a while, life was good. I mean, strange, but good. Both Gurley and Diazan drove luxury cars. In 1996, they moved into a nicer house and Diazan traveled a lot, almost always alone. He would leave town for long periods of time and especially once they moved into their new home, he was leaving more and more often. Now Gurley asked him what this was about and he kept explaining to her that he was flying out to perform surgery. Surgery on women and children who had sustained serious injuries in car crashes. And now by this point, Something told girly that there might be some weirdness going on in here. Like exactly what everyone's feeling. She's starting to also feel about her new husband. Important things to understand. It's the 90s. We have a better ability now to look at something and question Mm -hmm. catfishing, anything like that. In the 90s, not so much. And also in this situation, there is a cultural wall here that might make alarming things to us seem just like cultural differences to Girlie. And then just as Girlie was becoming wary of her new husband, there was the secret room that he built in their house that all but confirmed Girlie's now strange feelings. Diazin had one room in their house that no one was allowed to enter, no one but him. And also, no one but him knew what was inside of the room. It was a room that was kept locked at all times and was off limits.
1: just seems weird that there's people out there that don't ask questions. Right. They're just told something and they're, okay.
0: But again cultural differences and, it's and not, also it's not
1: just someone random though it's like it's your husband right right
0: but relationships are just so yeah. different so interesting I mean I'm not trying to play the devil's advocate I even girlie knew something weird was going on here but there's just always more to this story and a dynamic that we'll never understand but despite this girlie loved Dyson I mean she had moved here. She loved her new life in America. So beginning in 1996, Diazen and Gurley began trying to have children. This was something Diazen had actually suddenly become super fixated on while You know, Gurley wanted kids too, but Dizan seemed to be pressuring her. He told her he was the last of his family line, the last of the Hausenkopfs, which is one thing we at least know at this point in the story to have been true. There were no others.
1: So he's never met her family and she's never met his family, correct? No, No. Okay.
0: And after many frustrated months of trying, they went to a fertility doctor and learned that Gurley was just unable to have children. She was infertile, which of course was heartbreaking to learn. Now to ease the void, the Hossenkovs ended up getting a dog instead. But that new member of the family wasn't around for very long. One day, the dog just began convulsing and stopped moving. Oh they brought gosh. it to the vet, but it was too late, and the dog had died. I have
1: bad time to tell this episode.
0: I know. While I was researching, I went into like, oh no, freak out mode. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Seriously.
0: So uh, the doctor said apparently someone had maybe just fed it chocolate or grapes, which if you are a dog owner, hopefully you know you should never feed it. animal anything with chocolate grapes or raisins because even small quantities can cause kidney failure Mm. in dogs um no one's really been able to figure out why, but this is just something that we know. So anyways, after the death of their first dog, Gurley and Diazen got a second dog, but then that dog also didn't work out. One day, Gurley returned to find the dog was just gone.
1: What is going on?
0: Apparently, it had slipped out through the back fence and gotten away. It wasn't entirely clear what had happened, but she was devastated.
1: All right, we're jumping into a Shopify ad. Love Shopify, bunch of ads for them. If you have any type of online business, e-commerce store at all, please go and check out Shopify. You will absolutely love it and make sure you use code husband or go to shopify.com slash husband.
0: I think sometimes starting something, we all have these aspirations, right? We're like, oh, I make these little, I knit these little onesies. I really want to sell them or I do this or I do that. But then you have no idea what that actually looks like. Shopify is the answer. That is how you do it. And when we started podcasting, I was like, okay, maybe we're done with Shopify. But nope, here we are selling merch, so we're still using it.
1: From the launch your online store stage to the real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. No, we have not hit a million orders on Murder with My Husband, but maybe one day. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers, with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs to every size across 175 countries.
0: Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash husband now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, you guys don't forget to use code husband. It really, it it benefits you and it benefits us. Shopify.com slash husband.
1: Dave is the banking app. That's leveling the financial playing field. When you download Dave, You could get up to $500 in five minutes or less, no credit check, no late fees. It's part of day's extra cash account, advance the money you need with no interest, and then settle up later.
0: This would have been nice in college when I kept getting slapped with parking tickets and I literally didn't have any wiggle room.
1: Or when I kept getting towed.
0: Yeah, I could have used Dave. Extra cash gives you more money to buy groceries, fill a tank, and pay rent without having to wait for your next paycheck. It's time to remove extra stress with extra cash. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to make their finances easier. In fact, Dave has helped its members avoid over $2.5 billion in overdraft fees since 2017.
1: Download Dave today at Dave.com slash husband. That's Dave.com slash husband. Get up to $500 in five minutes or less when you download Dave. No credit check, no late fees.
0: Download the Dave app now or go to dave.com husband. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com legal. Eligibility criteria and instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve, member FDIC. But by later in 1996, Diazan was out of town yet again for work. And when he returned, this time he wasn't alone. And what Diazan had brought home was about to confuse Girlie even more. He came back home to Girlie with a newborn baby boy. Okay. He returns home from work with this newborn baby boy. He explained to Girlie that the baby whose name was Dimitri was a Mexican orphan that was given to him by a friend and now they were going to adopt him. And Girlie's like Okay. I guess after all, she did want a child and here was one who was an orphan. And so she didn't probe too deeply. This was just such a diazan thing to do. This is just right up her husband's alley and she still trusted him. And she believed the things he had to say, but pretty soon things would begin to happen that girly had no way of ignoring or excusing anymore. Phone calls began coming into the house when Diazan was away and Gurley was raising their baby. Phone calls from women asking for him. Women, plural, multiple women calling. And when Gurley inquired further about why why they were calling, who they were, what they wanted, one of these women claimed that she was Diazan's fiance. This was in January, 1998, five years after Gurley moved to America and married him. So angry, suspicious, and confused, Girlie felt betrayed. But where was she supposed to go? Like, what's she supposed to do? She had no family. She had abandoned her life and everything she knew to be here. And now she has this brand new baby. So it was around this time that one afternoon at home alone, Girlie happened to find Diazan's secret room unlocked. It had been left unlocked. All right. And since she had begun to question her husband's honesty and a lot of other things that just hadn't added up, Gurley made the decision to enter the secret room even though she knew it was forbidden. But what she found inside confirmed all of her worst fears. She found not just love letters from multiple other women, oh no, but legal documents. Legal documents that once she read them made her feel absolutely rug-pulled. As it turned out, Diaz and Hassenkopf was not a real person. So who was the person that she had been married to for five years and was raising a child with? A His, child
1: that he just brought home one day. Yes. That's absolutely insane.
0: His real name was Armand Chavez, and he'd been born not in Switzerland, but in Houston, Texas and not to Japanese and German parents, his entire backstory had been made up. Yeah, for sure. He had four social security numbers. He had been slapped with a protective order, demanding that he stay away from another woman, and he was under investigation from the FBI. He was not a doctor. He was not a geneticist. He was not a scientist, nor was he a surgeon. He was a con artist and a snake oil salesman a crooked imposter who had been scamming cancer patients and other vulnerable marks out of their money. And I mean lots of money. I don't
1: understand how he's not in jail.
0: Well, all of this... He had kept hidden from Girlie successfully for more than five years. But Diazan's whole adult life had been a scam. Even before he was kicked out of medical school when it was discovered that he'd falsified documents. It was then that he changed his name from Arman to Diazan. Maybe that was kind of his way of not facing the shame over what had happened and that his academic and professional careers weren't working out that he believed he was entitled to, but it was after high school that he had begun a life of delusion and lies. He got married. And had a child in the 80s with a woman named Rosemary, whom he eventually abandoned. So his first wife oh and child were gosh. never in a car accident. This tragedy was totally made up. And then in 1986, there was a woman named Cindy White. This isn't her real name. This woman was very well off, but she struggled with mental health issues. And around this time, she kind of fell into a deep depression. To the point that her father, a wealthy entrepreneur, hired a staff of several people to help manage the things in her life that Cindy's mental state left her unable to attend to. So this would be shopping, cooking, house cleaning, and balancing her checkbook. And the man that he hired to do her bookkeeping and serve her her meals was none other than diazan hausenkoft who by this point was still actually going by his birth name but we're just going to keep calling him diazan to to avoid confusion so diazan had been working for cindy for two years when suddenly in may of 1988 cindy became gravely ill and ended up in the icu at san francisco's presbyterian hospital
1: poisoned her for sure
0: The staff ran tests and found out that Cindy had been given a massive dose of arsenic, which if you listened to last week's binged episodes, you are very familiar and right up this alley. So, although Cindy did survive, her vital organs were extensively damaged by the amount of arsenic her body had absorbed. Now, in talking to police, Cindy recalled that she had begun feeling ill the day after eating a meal of chicken and vegetables that her employee, Diazan, had served to her the night before. In particular, she remembered the squash tasting peculiar, sort of bitter, sort of sour. And she remembered Diazan checking in on her several times during that specific meal, asking if she had eaten her vegetables. Vegetables and reminding her to finish her vegetables so it was pretty painful for her to consider that diazan would have poisoned her because she kind of adored him she liked him but she was smart enough to see that this was almost certainly what had happened so when investigators asked cindy what his motive could possibly have been all she could think to answer was maybe for the fascination of watching it happen as a medical study remember this guy is pretending to have gone to medical oh, school and be a doctor yeah, yeah, yeah. So Diazan was then interviewed by police and the home was searched, but nothing incriminating was found. So charges were never filed and the matter was officially dropped. I
1: assume he got fired, obviously.
0: Yeah, but still he could have killed her. Yeah, 100%. In July of 1990, Diazan showed up at the University of California, Berkeley campus and enrolled in a biochemistry class taught by Professor Charles Grissom. Now Diazan's professor and all of his classmates really did like him. They thought he was interesting and friendly and they were also touched by tragic story, which of course, as we know, was total BS, but no one at this time knew it. Except Professor Grissom kind of had his suspicions. Diazan had told his UC Berkeley people, similar to what he would later tell Gurley, that his wife and child had perished in this terrible accident while she was driving to pick him up at school down in the nearby city of Belmont now professor grissom was an educated man who wasn't an easy mark and something about Diazan's story just didn't feel authentic to him Diazan kind of had this superficial upbeatness to him mm-hmm. he was lighthearted but kind of empty and it didn't feel to professor grissom like this young man had suffered this kind of loss that he was claiming and on the one hand the professor felt guilty like doubting this young man's story if it was true but he just had to find out for sure. I mean, he's a professor. So he settled into the campus library and began searching the microfilm archives of the San Jose Mercury News around the date that Diazan claimed it occurred for any mention of a fatal car wreck, because surely an accident claiming the lives of a young mother and her sons would have made the papers. But Grissom found no record of it. And Just to double check, he went to Stanford University Library and did the same thing.
1: It's just so weird because it's so different now. Now you could just look up his name and be like, wait, your name doesn't exist anywhere. Yeah. There's no Facebook. There's no Instagram. There's no Twitter. There's no LinkedIn. There's no, I mean, there's no nothing.
0: So I think it actually says a lot about this professor that he That's how suspicious he was. Uh Like, that's how off-putting he was. Because he had
1: to really dig into it.
0: Yes. So all of this created a sort of air of mystery and doubt around Diazan, who at this point, besides abandoning his wife and child and almost poisoning another woman, had discovered a host of peculiar new traits, One of which was he really liked to draw blood from his fellow students, getting them to consent to it by telling them that he needed it for laboratory research. Now, unbeknownst to Professor Grissom, Diazan frequently drew blood from his first wife as well and was keeping vials of it in their refrigerator. That's weird. And this is something he would do for years. So this is just like a weird habit he had. And I don't know, maybe he's a vampire. Like, I don't know what he's doing with the blood, but this is what he's doing. Whatever the case, Professor Grissom was really uncomfortable with this. And so he finally pulled Diazan in and said, quit asking your classmates for blood. Like, we're not doing this anymore. And then one day, Diazan informed Professor Grissom that he wouldn't be returning to class. He then moved to Utah and enrolled in the University of Utah's medical school, but was soon expelled because he had falsified lab reports, forged a letter of recommendation from a hospital in California, falsified a federal grant application by fraudulently listing himself as married, and conning two women out of money in the process. So, I mean, obviously this guy's a con man, right? However, conning women out of money kind of was his forte. He has all these other weird things that we've talked about, but really his main thing was conning women out of money, which is a very common con, but even, this continued to happen even after he married Girlie. In 1993, a 72-year-old woman heiress named Penny Evans, again a fake name, placed a personal ad in the Albuquerque Journal. It read something to the effect of wealthy woman seeking end-of-life companion. And of course this caught the eye of the man now calling himself Dr. Diazan Hosenkoft. He reached out to Penny and she was instantly smitten by this exciting young man who could talk her ear off with his colorful stories and scientific ambitions so it was after meeting that penny told him that she had breast cancer and diazan told her that he was again a geneticist who had invented a breakthrough serum that would not only cure her cancer but could reverse the aging process and make her young again just
1: crazy i mean i get it i probably would
0: but again, she's 70. Yeah,
1: yeah, again. And it. ill. Yeah, I'm not so going to say anything.
0: He says the way it would work, since he'd injected himself with the serum, it was already in his blood. So he would just draw his own blood and inject it into her. And she totally took him at his word, asking him what his price was. He told her the fees would vary depending on the services. And she immediately entrusted him to become her caretaker. So for the next two years, Penny would pay dr Diazan an average of 25 grand a month for his treatments and services Holy crap. little did she know all he was injecting her with was his own blood and some vitamin b6 it was also during this time that he told penny he used to have a daughter but the daughter had died tragically in a car accident why
1: would he inject her with his own blood why not just water or know, like why his own blood isn't that that seems dangerous i don't know enough about the medical field but if someone doesn't have the same blood type as you, I would assume that's extremely dangerous.
0: Maybe to make it more believable? Yeah, I, I, I mean, don't I don't know. know. I think that's that they one. would have had to have the same blood type. Yeah. Mm. Um. Again.
1: Again, about know, doctor. Someone correct him.
0: <laughs> but he explained that he had discovered a way to genetically recreate his dead daughter in a laboratory using just a strand of her hair. So not to worry, because he was going to bring back his daughter into the world. And the only issue is he would need a house to raise her in. Oh. So of course, Penny did what any gullible dying heiress would do, and she bought the doctor a two-story house in Albuquerque that he then moved into with his new bride girly.
1: Oh, okay.
0: By this time, the tumor in Penny's breast had doubled in size. Dr. Hassenkopf's treatments were not working. And Penny's son, Stephen, not his real name, began insisting to his mother that she needs to see a reputable doctor with an actual practice. So she gave in to her son's nagging and went to see an oncologist. Now this oncologist very bluntly told Penny that she had stage three breast cancer and the prognosis in her case was poor. Best case scenario, she might survive another 18 months. By this time, Penny had paid Dr. Diazan nearly five hundred thousand dollars and her son steven decided to put his foot down Stephen established himself as his mother's court appointed guardian and despite his mother's protests because she had just invested not just money but hope into diazan he refiled a restraining order against diazan who had milked his cancer-stricken mother out of half a million dollars penny then fell into a depression and began to isolate herself and six months later she would die at her home from the cancer that Diazan had promised to cure.
1: That's absolutely horrible.
0: Awful. And so now we are back with Girlie in her husband's secret room where she is learning about all of this. When Girlie found out the full extent to which her husband had deceived her, she decided to confront him about this when he got home. Oh, about it, yeah. And she couldn't have anticipated what happened when she did so. Hearing her accusations, Diazan then flew into a rage and relentlessly beat Girlie. Oh. And from this point forward, this was the kind of violence that became routine as Gurley's situation grew unsafe. When Diazan found out that Gurley had contacted one of his other girlfriends to inform her that Diazan was actually a married man, he got drunk and put Gurley in a headlock, repeatedly punching her in the face while Gurley struggled for air. Now, a woman named Shelley Abrams, who was renting a room from the Hassencrofts, heard the commotion and came out from her room to see Diazan walloping Gurley before dragging her into the bedroom out of sight. So Shelley immediately called their next door neighbor, Pedro, and told him that she thought Diazanne was literally about to kill his wife. So Pedro ran to the house and found Diazanne inside the master bedroom with Gurley pinned against the wall. He was holding her by her neck and punching oh her in the face. Oh gosh. So Pedro wedged himself between the couple and told Gurley to run away and call the police. When the police arrived and saw Gurley's injuries, they immediately placed Diazan under arrest and charged him with several domestic violence related offenses. Now, in a just world, Diazan would have gone to prison for Mm -hmm. a long time and Gurley would have been safe. But that's not how things unfolded and often doesn't instead diazan posted bond and the case never went to trial after about a year the charges were dropped now meanwhile diazan's explosive temper and unpredictable violence not only became the norm in their marriage but it was also just the tip of the iceberg as Gurley felt hopeless and stuck
1: all right everybody we're talking about food not just any food but daily harvest and when it comes to eating well we are not the best at it and we're also not very good cooks that's why we love daily harvest They have no gluten fillers, seed oils, added sugars, or starches. Daily Harvest really takes the guesswork and effort out of cooking because they deliver delicious smoothies and other options that are built on organic fruits and vegetables straight to your door. I love their smoothies, love them.
0: Garrett drinks one every day. And when it comes to variety, Daily Harvest is always keeping it exciting as well. They have tons of great smoothies and other meal options that look so delicious. You never get bored when it comes to meals and snacks. So take the guessing out of eating well and try Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash husband to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash husband for $30 off your first box and free shipping.
1: Again, go check out their stuff. They got food. They got smoothies. They got something for lunch, breakfast. Anytime you want to eat something, it's very convenient and we love it. Dailyharvest.com husband.
0: One night in January 1999, Gurley and Dizan were watching TV in bed when Dizan suddenly turned to Gurley with a request. He wanted her to run an errand with him at the Hyatt Hotel the next day and it was important he said that she'd take the freeway. He couldn't offer any explanation why. But then he got out of bed and she heard him go into the garage. So Gurley slipped out of bed and followed him. And when she opened the door to the garage, she saw Diazan crouching behind her BMW trying to loosen her tires. She asked him if he was trying to kill her because he said, you have to drive on the freeway. And now he's loosening her tires. And his response was he suddenly lunged at her and tried to pin her down. So I'm going to guess that's a yes. Like that was uh, yes, what fortunately, Girlie was able to escape by opening the garage door and rolling under it. She ran to Pedro's house next door, but Diazan ran after her. Pedro let her in and told her to quickly hide. Meanwhile, Diazan barged in and then became violent with Pedro, but Pedro still wouldn't give in to him. And then when the police finally arrived, they accompanied Gurley back to the house to collect her belongings. And as soon as she was able to, she got a restraining order against Aizan. This was it. She had hit her breaking point and she was leaving. Gurley signed a lease at an apartment two miles away, an apartment in a secure complex with a guard gate and perimeter fence. And she took a unit in the very back of the building. She told no one, not even her closest friends and coworkers where she was living. She was trying to keep it a secret. With the exception of her coworker, Jess, who helped her move her stuff in she then confided in some of her other co-workers at the bank branch where she worked that she had to get a protective order against her husband because he wanted to kill her so if she ever was late or absent from work she told them to go straight to the police because diazan had probably found her and killed her that's how scared for her life she was so sad Now, during this time, Gurley initiated divorce proceedings against Diazan and sought full custody of their adopted son, Dimitri, who at this point was three, but also was seeking possession of half of everything Diazan had because, I mean, she had moved to America.
1: Wait, so where did he get this kid from? Like, is this even real? Did he steal the baby? Like, what's up with this?
0: We'll get there. Okay. Diazan blocked her efforts and she was eventually made to sign an agreement that terminated her parental rights to see Dimitri in addition to paying a hundred dollars a month in child support so she completely gets screwed and wow. he had all the money he had all the power yeah
1: but I understand how the court system with all the de- anyways that's probably a whole other story
0: right um so girlie no longer had access to her son and she lived every day in fear and Diazan at this point was calling her workplace non-stop even after screwing her over and on two separate occasions Gurley returned to her car after work to find her windshield smashed in. Now eventually all of this leads to Diazan being arrested for violating the protective order and after his arrest it was around this time that Diazan actually met a new woman that would end up being the perfect pairing for him so he starts to move on. This is 45-year-old Linda Henning, whom he met at a David Icke conference on UFOs. Now, if you don't know, David Icke, by the way, is a notorious conspiracy theorist who believes that the British royal family are shape-shifting reptile people and the world is run by lizard Illuminati and that Jewish religion people bankrolled the Holocaust. So these are his, like, main conspiracy theories. Okay. So after meeting at this conference, Diazanne and Linda hit it off almost immediately, realizing how much they have in common. They love conspiracy theories, lizard people aliens ufos it was a match made on mars and within a week of meeting diazan linda decided to dump her fiance for diazan so she literally leaves her fiance for him a week later is he
1: like an extremely good looking guy or is just a con man is it just it's so crazy it's like that story you told where he went to he scammed like 20 different girls out of which one was that
0: Yes, and and then they had to hire a private investigator yes, which, to find him. It was, there's
1: like a movie, right? There, there, there a was a Netflix series, series okay. on it. Yeah,
0: um, but it's just con man. Like it's crazy what they get away with. And in order for her to dump her fiance, Linda, she has Diazan and a friend of his named Bill show up at the house that they shared and forcibly remove him from it. So not only does she dump him, she like literally drags him out of the house. And then a week later, or only two weeks after meeting, Linda and Diazan were engaged. Diazan began telling people he was a 2,000 year old alien and that alien lizard people oh, ran the government. This is
1: getting ridiculous.
0: <laughs> and we're going to kill off two thirds of the world's population by poisoning the global water supply. And that only a select lucky few individuals living inside special vortex zones would survive.
1: <sighs> okay.
0: And Diazan's effect on Linda's personality was pretty startling to everyone who knew her. Like, they knew she was kind of into UFOs but once she met him she really fell down this rabbit hole and meanwhile the fiance who got ousted from the home he shared with Linda hired a private investigator to probe into Diazan's background he's like how does my fiance just leave me in a week for a person like this now obviously we know what the fiance found while looking into Diazan's background but when he tried to tell Linda that her new fiance was a fraud and a criminal Linda didn't believe it and all also said, if it's true, I don't care. Now, while being engaged to Linda, Dizan actually meets another woman named Julie, and he introduces his son, Dimitri, to Julie. He talks to Julie all about the alien stuff and everything, offers to give her the serum he's made that makes people stay forever young. He has um, Rapunzel's magical hair.
1: By the way, probably one of the best Disney movies ever made in history.
0: Flower, gleam, good job man (laughs) um so he didn't actually have her hair and he was just a con man but he tries to give it to her and julie kind of is just like this dimitri your son where'd you get him who's his mom she starts to like question it and then him and julie kind of fade off this is while he's still engaged to linda so back in Albuquerque at this time, Diazan was seemingly growing tired of having to take care of little Dimitri all the time. And although he had blocked Girly Chu from any sort of custody rights in the divorce settlement, he was basically offloading Dimitri to his neighbors, Pedro and his wife, all day long, all week long, like he did not want to be a father. And after a while, this elderly couple, as much as they cared for the little boy, had grown tired of being the child's unpaid babysitter. So they told Diazan enough's enough, so he'd have to make other arrangements. And that he did. He found another elderly couple in the neighborhood. But again, they reached their limit. So with no one else to unload on, but also not wanting to let down his pride and just give Gurley some parental rights, Diazan decided to take Dimitri to an adoption Agency. Oh, and met with an adoption caseworker named Vonda. He explained to Vonda that he was dying from leukemia and was not going to be able to raise his son. It broke his heart. He's going to have to put him up for adoption. This
1: this seems so ridiculous. Because wouldn't they say, okay, I understand, but we need proof that you're actually dying. Like I don't, I don't get it.
0: Well, so he supplies Vonda with a New Mexico birth certificate for dimitri that listed himself and Girly Chu as the boy's biological parents, but then he was unable to produce any documentation that proved Gurley had been pregnant with Dimitri. He also could not cough up any medical records for the child that dated back any earlier than when the boy was one month old. And because Vonda is a professional... At an adoption agency, which Garrett just pointed out, Mm -hmm. all of these are red flags. So she had to ask him for an explanation. And when she did, Diazan then came clean and said, okay, girly was not Dimitri's biological mother. Rather, I'm a genius. And the boy's biological mother was an Asian woman who provided her egg. And I fertilized that egg in a laboratory and grew this baby in a laboratory. This is what he tells the adoption agency. So this was the kind of tall tale that may have found traction with some of the impressionable women that he had met. But for Vonda, our caseworker, this was like alarm set, like these are blaring. There was also the fact that Diazan had initially told her he was dying from leukemia. But a medical examination that's required to get as a condition of the adoption revealed that he was just fine. He didn't have leukemia. There was no leukemia. He was perfectly healthy. So after her meeting with Diazan ended, Vonda was like, that's it. That, 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 calling the FBI. She calls the FBI. She's like, I think this kid, this guy kidnapped, like he lied. I think he kidnapped this child. He's insane. I don't know what's going on. But before she could stop it, the adoption process was completed. Like she's like sitting here saying, no, 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 we can't. And it goes through anyways, just based on air paperwork.
1: Wait, doesn't this, this doesn't make sense. What do you mean?
0: Like it just goes through even though she is like something is weird about
1: this. Isn't she like signing off and everything?
0: Yeah, but I'm pretty... It probably just went to a different caseworker because she said no and he probably just tried again.
1: Oh, like to a different company or something?
0: Yeah. And so on August 27, 1999, Dimitri was sent to live with a new family and Gurley, having just relinquished all custodial and parental rights, would never see him again. And despite the fact that we have now introduced multiple women and people who have been conned and hurt by Dizan, we are going back to Gurley, who despite doing all she could, would continue to be his victim. On the evening of September 9th, 1999, Girlie Chu got off work and drove to her apartment and on the way home stopped to mail a letter to her parents in Malaysia. When she got home, she placed a call to the telephone company at 7.03 that evening. And you know that when I start to get specific about times, something bad is about to happen. And then her good friend Ernie called her apartment a short while later, but she didn't pick up the phone. He called back several more times that night, but the phone just rang each time. The next morning on September 10th, the normally punctual girly did not show up to work when her shift began. Now, remember, she told her coworkers, Hey, if this happens, I'm in trouble. So at 815 that morning, her boss, Kathy picked up the phone and called the police now, meanwhile, Girlie's friend and co-worker, Jesse, drove over to her apartment to check on her. When he got there, around 8.30, he noticed that Girlie's car was still in its spot. He knocked on her door and rang her doorbell, but no one came to the door. In fact, everything at her apartment was eerily silent. Finally, the apartment manager lets them in and... There's nothing amiss except for three large wet stains on oh. Girlie's orange carpet, which look like they have been cleaned with a steam cleaner. So police arrive and they talk to Jesse and they talk to the apartment manager and then they drive to Diazan's house because this is the only name that comes up. Like everyone is like, Hey, uh, yeah, it was him. And when they arrive, they find the front door wide open and his house is totally empty. There's nothing there. No furniture, no dishes, no odds and ends. Everything was gone. Okay. So at this point, police began looking for anyone in Diazan's life who could help them find him because they're like, he's our only lead to find Girlie.
1: But there's no DNA. There was nothing in the house that...
0: They pull everything up, but it's going to take a minute okay. to check.
1: So was it obvious that... He killed her at this point, or you just couldn't really tell?
0: So police are pretty sure that this is their suspect. Okay. Police became aware of Linda Henning when they found her name as an emergency signature on some adoption papers inside Girlie's apartment. Now, remember, Linda is the one who left her fiancé a week after and became engaged to him. Um, and so they went to interview Linda, and she claimed she didn't know anything. She never heard of Girlie. She couldn't be of any help. And then afterwards, Linda disappeared and seemed to be making conscious efforts to evade the police by driving other people's cars and staying at hotels. But the search for Diazan remained hot when on September 14th, police received three separate phone calls from women who claimed that Diazan had called them and was threatening them. The third woman who was called by Diazan and threatened immediately hung up the phone and called police. And when they heard that Diazan, their number one suspect, had just called, they asked the woman named Ruby to do them a favor. They asked her to dial star 69, which for those who don't remember, that was back in the days before cell phones when only some households had caller ID. So when you dialed star 69, it would tell you the number of the last incoming call. Mm-hmm. So like, they say, please dial it back and get the number for it and she does. And the number began with an 843 area code. This is the area code for Charleston, South Carolina. They trace the numbers to the exact location. And on September 22nd, Diazan was arrested on three counts of making threatening phone calls across state lines. Now with him in custody, police were able to get a search warrant on his new house in South Carolina. Inside, they find a gun. They find multiple vials of blood. They find Gurley's address book and ID card. And they find a steam cleaner, which remember those stains in Girlie's apartment? Those stains tested positive for blood. And the DNA revealed that it was a mixture of Girlie's blood and the blood of Linda Henning. They also found arts and craft glitter and a pink deer head inside the apartment, as well as cat hairs. So
1: she helped?
0: She helped.
1: No way.
0: And while figuring out that she helped, They also discover that Diazan's friend Bill, who was the man who helped Physically remove Linda's ex fiance, he starts to turn out to be involved. Turns out he has this hunting cabin in Magdalena and they found a tarp with blood stained clothing oh and gosh. duct tape there. The blood on the tarp and clothing turned out was girly chews And then there was a single long dark hair found on the duct tape, which belonged to Linda Henning. So basically, yes, I'm telling you right now that Diazan probably did kill girly but not alone. Got it. When the grand jury trial convened to figure out whether or not to charge Diazanne with murder, Linda Hending continued to lie despite the fact that it was very clear that she knew girly. Police decided not to charge Bill with murder because they felt they couldn't find sufficient evidence of his involvement. So all he was ever convicted of was evidence tampering and he was sentenced to time serve. But Diazanne Hossenkoft and Linda Hending were both indicted on November 17th, 1999 on charges of Gurley's murder, conspiracy to commit murder and kidnapping. To this day, no one knows exactly what happened to Gurley because neither Linda nor Diazan ever came forward. Or the charges though? Eventually, faced with the overwhelming evidence against him, Diazan agreed to a plea deal, pleading guilty in exchange for a life sentence instead of the death penalty.
1: Oh, so they, no matter what, he was. He was screwed. Yes. And Linda
0: Henning pled not guilty to all her charges. And at her trial, Diazan actually testified against her and said, go ahead and kill her. You'll just be killing my next victim. Oh my gosh. In April, 2003, Linda Henning was found guilty on all counts and sentenced to 73 years in prison. Two days. She continues to maintain her, her innocence and Diazan in January, 2020, nearly two decades after he was sentenced, filed a new motion to vacate his sentence. But then 2020 pandemic happened. The extension was granted, but there's not been any news since. So we're still kind of waiting out. Okay. Now, if there's anything positive to report at the epilogue of this bizarre story, it's that Dimitri, whose name was changed, was adopted by a loving family and is actually doing well. Good. But if you're wondering where he came from and who his biological mother really was, It was discovered and it's a sad story. Dimitri's mother, we now know, was a Japanese woman from Canada who Diazan impregnated and the woman then returned to Japan where she gave birth to him. But then Diazan contacted her and told her that the baby had a rare genetic disorder and because he was a geneticist who knew how to treat it, he needed to take the baby so that he could save the life and help it thrive. So this poor woman snuck into the U.S. and afterwards she surrendered her baby and returned to Japan where she never saw her son. Oh,
1: that is horrible. Horrible.
0: But that is the story of Girly Chew.
1: There's no happy endings.
0: No happy... Well, except for he yeah. was adopted and just, lived so, a better life than he would have ever with
1: There's so much to it. His That's father. so crazy.
0: But what an insane story.
1: What a weirdo. Like, what a just straight... I don't... Like, who does that? Con
0: man just never makes sense to me.
1: I don't understand that at all. It's, it's not even like... It is a con man, but it's not even con man. That's just like next level just... I don't know. I feel like I'm sure it happens these days, but I feel like now people, like you said, are probably more skeptical. Like, no way.
0: Yeah. Like, come on. And that's the thing. When these things are happening in the 90s, again, I feel like a lot more people today are skeptical. It's just
1: different with social media and everything. That's just crazy. That's sad.
0: But it's still so hard.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, you guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. And we will be back next week with another one. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye.